Hey everyone, uh, this is Gabriel Iglesias and I am today's man of the hour. That's right, and that's why I drink from plastic cups. My favorite comedian and yours, Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias, is on the show today, and we're catching up with Gabe to find out what really makes him a successful comedian, how being vulnerable is a good thing, and we'll also learn a thing or two about taking advantage of our own humility. All that and more right now. Gabriel, we're gonna get straight into this, my friend. You know what? So you're you're known for making people laugh. You're doing it right now. I I can't look at you and not think to myself, this guy has built such an incredible career on being so authentically himself and just making people laugh for the better good of society. So my first question for you, I have to ask, how many people do you think you've made laugh in your career thus far, including the people back in California that you used to do stand up with? You mean making people laugh like you mean just globally uh, in person? Just a, if you had to give us a rough estimate as to the total of people you've probably made laugh over the past decade or so, what would that number be? Wow, I don't, I don't even think I could come up with a number because I, I got to figure, I look at my YouTube videos and I see the, uh, the amount of clicks and stuff and not to mention just the amount of shows that I've done over the last 23 years. Yeah. I got to imagine it's, it's, it's been quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely in the millions. So, I, mean, I would think it's almost in the billions. It might be in the billions. Almost like the, the Despacito video. I don't know if I'm a billion yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those, uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to be around this many years. Uh, in entertainment business, it's a hard thing to, uh, to get into. It's an even harder thing to stay in. Yeah, and you've stayed in for over two decades now, my friend. You look like—I mean, you look like you're my age now, and I'm in my early twenties. You look great, and to stay to have <laughs> to to have stayed in that long, Gabriel and Gabe, if I may call you Gabe, I think that there's you know something to be said about that, and it it all might come down to your why. So tell us why you decided that you wanted to make comedy a full time career. It was a—I uh, love the fact that it was the the funnest way to be accepted. Uh, as a kid, I was always the last one picked on a team. I was always the, the, the last one picked for a group. I mean, I was, you know, I've always been a chubby kid. I've always just been me. But for some reason, I was either picked on, you know, I was bullied, uh, you name it. I mean, it just, I wasn't the popular kid in school. And it wasn't until I found a way to uh, just, you know, entertain people by making them laugh, I realized, oh, shoot, that was my gift. That was my end. I found that if I was making people laugh, they wanted to be, around me and that was my that was my hook that was my way of of finding acceptance and uh as soon as i started doing this i mean you know it's it's uh it allows me to to vent and and now i can actually really really talk about myself in the beginning i was just trying to be silly but now i can actually talk about myself and it's very therapeutic where you know people i connect with people in certain ways i never thought i could because of uh, humor and I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, people always say comedy is such a different kind of a uh, uh, skill to have, right? To, to let something sit with your audience and, and to really make them laugh. And I mean, you've made people piss their pants. Let's be real here, you know, but, but when you think about how it's really influenced you personally too, I mean, that's an incredible thing you've done for yourself in the meantime. I mean, like you'd said, you really started with this to be something where it was therapeutic for yourself, but you might have not been edging so, um, might have not been edging in such a way where you would really overstep some boundaries. But now, I mean, when you go on tour, you'll say anything and everything that we all really need to hear too. And I appreciate you for that. 
Thank you. You know, and so when you think about the fact that like, I mean, let's, let's talk about numbers here. So in 2018, uh, you were Hollywood Reporter's top, you were listed as Hollywood Reporter's top 40 comedy players in the game issue alongside this was Chris Rock, you know, that you were issued with alongside uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Lauren Michaels. So congratulations on that, by the way, we're not two years late. That's something that's going to stand by you for a very long time. And if I have to be the one to build the plaque, damn it, Gabe, I'm going to do it. Because at the end of the day, that's something to really stand by because you've made such a stamp in the entertainment industry. And to, I mean, to say the least, you not only were a full-time comedian to have been stamped in, in such a way in the industry, but you also were co-starring in movies that we love. I loved Magic Mike. I loved the part two of Magic Mike. I mean, we all loved it. And then you were also in Haunted House and many more. But when you think of stand-up comedy, especially back in the 90s when you were doing the hole-in-the-wall gigs, right, in California, uh, I believe it was Long Beach, right? And when you were thinking about where all of this would have ended up for you, I have no doubt that you didn't really think it would be such a, such a whirlwind of opportunities. No, I mean, uh, someone said, yo, did you, did you have any idea that it was going to get to where it went? I'm like, no, I, my only goal was I just wanted to quit my day job. I just wanted to quit my day job and I wanted to just, you know, do comedy at night and hang out and have fun and, and get free sodas and, and food. And uh, <laughs> so let that be a lesson to people. And like, set your goals really low so that past them, you feel incredible because uh, yeah, I, I could never have dreamed of any of this. I, none of this was possible back then. You know, social media wasn't a thing yet. The internet wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't, there was no, you know, because because of that is, is one of the main reasons why I, I was able to uh, to reach so many people. Yeah. And then when you think about first starting out too, I mean, I could only imagine you were in your teenage years and, you know, your mom was raising quite a few of you children back in Long Beach. And I think that that's something, you know, I want to pose this question to you in favor of all the young audiences here listening. But when you think about, you know, the younger version of Gabriel Iglesias and, and the mission you were on to really not only let go of the full-time job to then make something like comedy a career, when you think about the evolution of how all of it kind of played out for itself because you were so invested and because you were so passionate about really making people laugh, you know? And so where did you think all that kind of played out for yourself? And then ultimately, especially going from younger to, you know, over two decades later, where, where is all that sitting with you now? Well, uh, in my teens, I mean, basically I was the last of six kids. So, I mean, my mom had done pretty much all the work, you know, with everyone else, I showed up like 14 years later. There's a huge gap between uh, my sister and myself. So it was like growing up an only child. I, was, I had my own room. I had my mom's undivided attention. I had all of her love. She didn't have to share it, you know, I, you know with, with amongst everyone. It was just me. So, uh, I, you know, I was very lucky in, in that part, and mm. which I understand now why there was certain resentment amongst my siblings, but who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> But back then, though, it was just, it was very, very different. I knew for a fact that I needed to be in the L.A. area. Um, when I turned 18, my mom um, was offered a house in San Diego, two hours away from L.A., basically south. Um, and she says, well, you know, you're going to come live with me. You know, we've got this house. We can leave this apartment, go to San Diego. We got, you know, your sister set us up. And I said, well, Ma, I really, I, I need to live here in L.A. if I want to be, you know, I knew I wanted to be a comic and I knew I had to be in the L.A. area. I just, for some reason, it's stuck, it stuck in my mind. I needed to be here or New York in order for, for this thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see that as a possibility in San Diego. And my mom was like, 
are you even doing comedy yet? And I'm like, no, but I'm, I'm going to be. I just, don't, I just don't know how, but I'm, I'm going to be. So she goes, all right. So she went to San Diego, left me in the apartment, and uh, didn't pay the rent. So uh, I, I ran out of options quickly, and I wound up having to move in with my brother. And so I was living with my brother for a summer, and then my sister found out I was living with my brother. She didn't like that because she knew that I was sleeping on the balcony, not inside the house. And there's a whole other story there, too. And so I went to go live with my sister, and uh, I lived with her for about two years rent-free before I finally started getting to where I could uh, afford to pay my rent. Let's talk about that for a second. Because I, I had a really good job. I had a good job selling cell phones. Uh, and this was early on when cell phones were, were a thing. You know, I used mm. to sell a phone called a Motorola PC 550 flip phone, which is they call a brick phone back in the day. Like now, if you drop a Samsung or an iPhone from your pocket to the floor, you got to replace the phone, the screen, something. But back then, those phones were indestructible. Like if somebody mug, tried to mug you, you could use the phone as a weapon hit them and then go back to your call. And, and and it was strong, like you'd hang up and you could feel the tumor growing. That's 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 how strong the phones were back then. But uh, <laughs> I was a lot of money doing that and I quit I quit that job to pursue stand-up full-time and um, money ran out so fast and I got evicted. And like I said, my, my sister, she's the one that, uh, that took care of me for a while until um, comedy paid the bills. Yeah. I mean, and, and let's talk about that for a second. When people are thinking about stand-up comedy as a career, I, that's such an intimidating path to go down. It, it, just like acting is, just like, you know, people who want to be artists, you know, anything in entertainment, like you said at the top of this podcast, can be very intimidating. It's such a struggle at the, at the beginning of the process. What would you tell your younger self who is quite intimidated, maybe overwhelmed, even when staying with your sister for two years? Um, you know what, honestly, I don't think I would have told my younger self anything because I was, I was a knucklehead. I'm still a knucklehead. And, you know, some, one, something goes in one ear, goes out the others. It doesn't always stick. And I remember at that age, oh, man, I, I wasn't trying to listen to anybody. Uh, I just knew that, that I had a, a goal and I was going to do what I was going to do no matter how, you know, I, people would give me advice and that was nice. But I just, unless you were doing what I wanted to do, I didn't really take, uh, that advice like my siblings would have tell me certain things and I'm like you're you don't know what it is that I want to do and my sister was like look I'm only going to cover this rent for so much longer you need to start paying rent go get a real cheetah always tell me go get a real job go get a real job and then when I started you know making money as a comic she's like oh okay all right <laughs> hey, like any sibling would right any older siblings gonna look down at their younger sibling and say you know what to each their own, but you're not going to stand on my roof unless you start paying some bills. And that's, I mean, it might've taught you something, but ultimately look where you're at now. And I think that's exactly why we're so excited to have you on this podcast. The episode you're listening to right now is proudly supported by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers professionally engineered tools for your family jewels. And we all know that in order to be the best version of yourself, you gotta be sure you're well-groomed all around. I gotta say, trimming anything around my family jewels definitely had me nervous my whole life, but now I don't even have to worry. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the great ball hair trimmer ever created and released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. This is premium, my friends. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can take as long as you need. And if you're like me, you'll need all the time you can get. You can even use this trimmer in the shower, and one of the coolest features is its LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. 
Plus, the charging stand makes it so easy to have ready wherever you need, especially for those last-minute dates that I know you just booked and need to go get ready for. I have no doubt you'll enjoy this just as much as I do, so be sure to get 20% off and free shipping with the code MOTH20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MOTH20. Your balls and your partner will thank you later. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to switch gears here for a second, Gabe, and ask you about vulnerability and uh, humility for a minute. Because even like you said at the top of the podcast, why you even started in comedy was very much your great escape into how you can be so comfortable with yourself, be authentically who you are. And that's something that I really thrive to let our listeners and audiences understand, especially with someone like you who's so successful being exactly that. I think in the entertainment business, it's often misconstrued that in order to make it, you have to fit a mold. In order to make it, you have to be somebody else. And especially someone like you who is a a comic, that can also get misunderstood in some way somehow. But when I remember seeing you in 2010 on your road trip tour, again, back to the fluffy, I can't make half of the noises you made or else I would do it on this podcast. Because when you're listening to a podcast, you want sound effects. So if you want to incorporate them in your answer, go for it, buddy. But you so much so make people laugh that um, you often use yourself as a laughing mechanism to the extent in your comedic jokes that we all appreciate because it is you and you're sharing your story and something on like road trip or even your 2020 tour 10 years later, you continue to do so. Uh, But where have you really found it helpful in your professional and more importantly, your personal career over the years to be authentically yourself and be that vulnerable with your audiences? I think the fact that we were able to take control of, of the way that the content was distributed, for example, in the beginning, you only had the option of like a Comedy Central or a, a talk show that would put you on for a few minutes at a time. But when, when comics had the ability to post their own content and have control over that, I think that's when, when um, people were able to be a, a lot more of themselves because they didn't have to worry about fitting a mold. Uh, when you control your own, you know, your own stuff, it's, it's different. You, you don't, uh, you know, you're not answering to anyone. And so it's like, if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't, but I'm going to continue to post stuff. You know, um, that's why they say, Oh, uh, he did it backwards. You know, a lot of times in, in, in Hollywood, you know, you, as far as a comic goes, you want to be able to get a TV show, be on TV, eventually be in a movie so that you can build a following so that you can go out on the road and sell tickets. And I went and did it the opposite way where, you know, I started uploading my own content on YouTube and then I encouraged, and see, this is a, a, another thing too that people don't realize, they would get mad that, that fans would post content and they'd, they'd fight like, hey, take down my content, you're not supposed to be posting my content, that's my content, fighting over, you know, pennies. Uh, whereas I did the opposite and I encouraged people to share if they liked it because all it did was give me more eyeballs. And by encouraging them, please, you're doing me a favor. Thank you. Share it. You know, um, I, I think that, that that's what helped build all of this. Whereas before, you know, you had to rely on the Comedy Centrals and the HBOs and Showtimes. And, you know, I was able to build this thing where once uh, a monster like Netflix came along, Netflix doesn't care about personalities. They care about numbers. They care about, are you going to be able to generate and, and make this a thing? And they already saw the numbers. And so it was a no-brainer once uh, once they came along into the picture that you know I started working with them. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get to that in just a minute with Mr. Iglesias because you're actually working on part. Also, the, the building as far as the, uh, the personal goes, again, 
it allowed me to just be myself. I was able to put content out there with uh, just, you know, not having to worry about somebody judging me for it. But I always try to make sure that, that the stuff that I shared with people was, was genuine, uh, very personal, and uh, I kept it very friendly. So even if I had a, an opinion about something, I made sure that I, was, that I would share that opinion as lightly as I could and just be as, as mindful that, hey, you know, just try not to try, share your message, but try not to ruffle feathers in the process. Yeah, as any good comic would do, Gabe. You know, I want to ask you too, when you think about how many people you've impacted and if there were one person, whether it's a family member or somebody in the audience back in the day, who you really knew that this is what you were doing full time because it really impacts people, right? You making someone laugh and piss their pants, believe it or not, could really change their week, their life, whatever, you know, maybe just their moment while they're with you. Um, Can you tell us about a time when someone came up to you and was like, hey, Gabe, Besides me, obviously, but you know, hey, Gabe, you really, you, you made me really laugh, and that that changed my perspective on whatever subject. And here's how I'm moving forward with it, or any moment like that that's ever happened to you. I've had many nights where I felt like, you know, I was on stage and the show didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, and I was like, man, oh, I messed it up. I felt like I had a horrible set, and then I'd be hanging out afterwards, and you know, I'd take pictures with with fans and stuff, and. Every now and then I'd get somebody that would come up to me and go, hey, listen, you know, uh, I'm going through something really silly. Like I've had people that told me, that, you know, they're dealing with terminal illnesses, that they're terminally ill, that they're going through something and that they appreciated the fact that they could get away for that 45 minutes, that hour, that two hours that, that, that you know, while they're at the show. Meanwhile, I'm worried about, oh, man, this I wasn't as funny to them. I was I, I was all that and then some and they they made me see something that I didn't. I didn't realize that I had an impact on people like that because I wasn't thinking outside the box. It took people getting in my face and saying, Hey, look, thank you. You don't even know what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, clearly I don't, but now I do. And, and, but you know, I started taking myself a little bit more serious and realizing that, okay. And that, that inspired me to want to start sharing more stories and just be a little bit more personal about what it is that I was doing up there especially when dealing with people who might be sitting in your audiences that are going through such hard things like a terminal illness, for instance, making some comedic relief out of that. You know, as you always say, I mean, this is something you're so good at. You, you're so mindful about the jokes that you tell, but then ultimately how that's going to resonate with people sitting in front of you of all demographics, of all types, of all internationalities. And, uh, you know, that's, I, again, like I super appreciate you for that. But when you think about the, the bigger picture here as a comedian and how big of an influence comedy really has on society. I think that's my most important question for you here, you know, on the men of the hour podcast today is to really ask you, where do you think comedy sits, especially in today's climate on how much of a positive influence you could really have on people listening and watching you? I think right now it's such a sensitive time that uh, I'd like to think that, that people want to laugh, they want to feel good, they want to be entertained. But unfortunately, because of the way things are right now, it, people are just looking for any reason to shut people down. And uh, I know for a fact, like with me, I try to keep the shows very friendly. I try to keep the shows just fun and, and happy. Um, I might share some some moments that that made me feel a certain kind of way, but I always make sure that by the end of the show that I bring it back around and and I make it end in a positive way. Um, but I myself have have been dealing with uh, uh, fans or just people that would hear my content and 
and find ways to try to pick it apart to find negative in it and and make it seem like I was doing something wrong and uh, if I'm feeling it as a comic who doesn't intend like I make it a point I stay away from politics religion and sports because all three of those things divide people I figure if I stay away from those three things I should be okay and clearly that's not the case right now we're living in a time when people just want to tear people down and if you're an entertainer especially a comedian it's it's really challenging because uh you know there's some comics that they'll do and say whatever they want they're, they don't care what's what what the effects are because they have nothing to lose and that's the scary part is when you have things to lose you're you're, you're starting to approach it differently and that scares me because then i feel like i'm not being 100 I'm not putting myself out there the way that I normally would. Now I'm approaching it with caution. And I don't like operating from a place of fear. You know, I haven't been on stage in four months, and that's the longest I've gone. And it's one of those things where I always swore up and down that I'd always have that stage no matter what. And, you know, and I always said, hey, well, if things don't work out here in the U.S., I can always, you know, perform abroad. I've got an audience everywhere, so I can go anywhere. And wow, come to find out, no, man, when they take it away, they take it away. I mean, you, you got to go to a crazy extent now to be, you know, to go to a show. But uh, as far as where comedy's going to go, I don't know. It all depends on where this goes. But definitely uh, sensitive times, people are getting canceled over anything and everything. And, you know, I just, I, I, if, if I'm not having fun, I don't know if, if I'm going to want to come back to it uh, until it gets to a better place where we can just, you know, have fun again. Yeah. And a better place is where we hope it all ends up, especially in the new year. I think a lot of people are starting to anticipate more and more that this, I mean, especially with you being here in the fall, I, you know, there's a lot to be excited for, but then ultimately a lot that we all have to work on as a, as a society and as a world. I mean, even as a half Japanese, I'm, I'm always on the phone with my mom and she's like, yeah, Japan's looking way better than the United States. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, but Japan might be doing worse than other countries. You never know. And it's a collective thing we're all going through. So to your point, um, I'm really, I'm anticipating that it could get better. But until then, like you said, we're all just kind of working with what we have. Um, and to that point too, I want to kind of reel things back a little bit and take you back in time just a second for our last question for you. And it's one we leave with every single guest on this show. Gabe, when you think of one thing that you know today, uh, that you wish you knew on the first day you became a full-time comedian, uh, what would that one thing be? Ooh, uh, don't eat everything on the road. <laughs> Just because it's available to you, don't eat it all. Um, I'm a person of excess, and let me tell you something. I always said, man, it'd be awesome to just be able to go out and eat out every day and just have fun and just, man. When you're in your 20s, you're indestructible. When you're 30s, you're like, okay, maybe, maybe not seven days a week. And now I'm in my 40s and it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm feeling it. And I'm like, you know, if I would have just made some adjustments back then, I, I think I would have been in a much better place. Uh, Business-wise, career-wise, I think everything that, that's happened to, up to this point has been amazing. I would have taken better care of my health because that's the only thing that's questionable at this point of my life is, is my health. It's like, man, he did all that. He got to this point and that would suck to die now and leave it all to my son who doesn't know what he wants to do with himself. Um, I love him, but yeah. <laughs> you can leave the whole thing to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> just so that he can find out what he wants to do game no i i i would say your health is a, is better care of my health yeah i would say your health is in a good place now and especially now that you're paying attention to a lot of people are and that's what this this time right now is really allowing people to do so right to your point about everything kind of being canceled stages being shut down people are spending more and more time with themselves to often evaluate what they want who they want to become and how they want to continue their lives um you don't look 40 something you literally look so good for your age let me tell you that 44 i just turned 44 uh two weeks ago come on two weeks happy belated birthday to you <laughs> he's over here looking at somebody's hat <laughs> make sure that's straight you know <laughs> You look great, my friend. You know what? I want to I wanna find more about, I mean, you mentioned excess and sometimes there are certain things that we can go in life with having excess of, and that is a good laugh and some comedic relief. So please tell us what we have upcoming with you, Gabe Iglesias. So when you think about uh, Beyond the Fluffy World Tour 2020, go big or go home, uh, where can I get my ticket and how will we be watching you now that, you know, you mentioned things are going to be a little different? Uh, I, I find it ironic that I, it, it's the biggest tour I've ever done. Uh, at least it started off that way. And the, the, the you know, the, the go big or go home. I didn't think that there, that, that would actually be the case. <laughs> but then we had to go home. Uh, as far as I know, for the rest of the year, I, I, the dates are, are questionable. It depends on the rules and what's allowed, what's not allowed, and how comfortable people are. Uh, we'd like to think that stuff's going to come back in 2021. But I do have other stuff going on. Uh, the television show, the second half of Mr. Iglesias, comes out uh, later this year, August 10th. I have a special crossover episode with the big show. So that's pretty cool. We're excited about that. And then uh, I signed on to, uh, to be in the upcoming Space Jam film. So I'll be in the, the Space Jam movie with, uh, with LeBron. So I'm pretty jazzed about that. Uh, can't say what character I'm going to play, but it's, uh, it's pretty legit. <laughs> it's, it's pretty legit. Uh, and then uh, also we have some projects in the works for next year, um, uh, a movie project in the works. So, of yeah. course you do, because you're Gabriel Iglesias, and this is exactly what I just said at the top of the podcast. You're not just a freaking comedian, dude, who is world-renowned, but you are making uh, a stamp in the movie world, and I'm so excited for these upcoming projects. I want to hit really quickly here before we close the Netflix show Mr. Iglesias. When I first watched not only the trailer, but season one and part two, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that you and your entire cast, rather, right? Everybody involved in this, in this show on Netflix has allowed an opportunity to educate us as viewers. I wanted to ask you about that. When you think of the educational component of this entire show and how you all are really thinking about how your audience can learn something from the show, what would you want that message to be? Well, I think from the get-go with, with the show, uh, we wanted to make sure that when people saw the show, they weren't just entertained by it, but that they felt connected to it, made mm -hmm. sure that when watched it, they saw themselves in the show. So that's why we wanted to make sure that before any of all, all this, you know, back and forth about, you know, uh, diversity was a, a big deal. You know, we did that before it was a thing where people now, now all these different shows are, oh, we got to change it. We got to make it this certain way. We were doing that uh, organically. We just, you know, we thought that it, it was a good idea to have have a show where people could see themselves in it and connect to it and relate to it, like really relate to it. And so, um, the educational part. I mean, every every episode, I was learning new things. I'm like, really? I had no idea, you know, uh, whether it was about um, 
the types of protests that happen in the schools or uh, something as simple as Latinx being the, the, the new term that encompasses everyone. I had to learn the hard way on the set, like, really? Is that what it means? And there's an episode where there's an argument happening and the argument that's happening was a legit argument of my point of view, which was actually the old point of view. And so they didn't have to write the script for me. I actually did that from how I felt, which was crazy. And when people watch that, I want them to know that's exactly how I felt up to that point. And I was educated on the right way or the, the current way, the new way. They're going to wind up changing it again in about 20 years, but uh, <laughs> I'm up to date. <laughs> Hey, now that's all we can ask of any person in society nowadays. Just stay up to date and uh, and read as much as you can, and really just do your part. Try to stay current. Yeah. But now that old guy, like that's not how we did things in my day. You don't know. <laughs> that's the. You know what? That's the twenty. <laughs> that's the twenty-four-year-old in you talking. Not the not the forty-four-year-old. You know what, Gabe, I, I'm so glad that you came onto the show because not only have I looked to you for laughs, but I know everybody listening and watching has looked to you for laughs. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the new projects that you've accepted and put under your belt because you're a busy man. I don't care if we're at home. You are still very busy. Uh, you know, whatever this tour looks like, I'm going to get on it. And whatever the show looks like for part three, we're excited to see it in the fall. So thank you again for joining. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you as a voice on this podcast for the men of the hour, because you certainly are today's man of the hour, having such an impact in society and, and doing such incredible things to make people laugh and stay, uh, stay truly authentic to who they are. So thank you again. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate it, man. Justin Crawford here, and I'll be back next week with another great guest on the Men of the Hour podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review right here and anywhere else you'd like to listen. Also, check out our Instagram and YouTube channels when you get a chance and see the full video interviews with our guests at Men of the Hour podcast. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and make a positive change for yourself and those around you.